Welcome to the B-Side Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Frank, and today, um, I don't have a guest, but I want to do a recap because there had a lot go on in the last um, Louisiana Department of Wild and Fisheries Commissioner meeting, and I think it's one of them things that it should be for the entire world pointed out because there is a lot going on and the or at least the united states um so first thing i'm gonna go over the big thing that's happening uh last but first thing let's talk about sorry i'm driving right now let me put my seatbelt on i just took off um let's talk about the big thing or the first thing is um so, in this meeting, which I'm not going in chronological order, like I said, because I'm trying to save the bigger things for the end of the podcast, but, so, in this meeting, um, the Alligator Program Director for Louisiana gave his presentation to the Commission, and he talked about how they reclass they're reclassifying some of the alligator habitat to give more tags per acre, or it's really it's really not tags per acre, but um, it's it's acres per tag is the better way to say it. Uh, for example, marsh habitat. Um, is 55 tag or 55 acres per tag uh, as to where swamp used to be uh, 400 acres per tag but now they're reducing it down to 300. What does that mean? Well that means for example more paw WMA and now I can't remember if this is hunters or tags, and I believe it's hunters, which uh, on a lottery hunt, a hunter gets three tags, so um, let's go with that, uh, or we're going to go with that. So Maripaw currently has 25 hunters, or let's say 25, 25 draws. Um, with this new tag allocation, Maripaw WMA goes from 25 to 125. That is a huge number difference. Um, it'll make the lottery chances go way up. But they did say that they're going to, um, I think, leave it up to the WMA on how they want to distribute these tags. And there's some other WMAs that are also going up, but Maripaw was the big, the big change there. So there'll be a lot more opportunities in Moripaw to draw tags. Um, I know I have a listener or a few listeners from that area that put in for that. And so y'all have some better chances of drawing next year, hopefully. Um, another thing he touched on was why they don't want to draw. So some of the WMAs have draw tags. Some of them have 
a combination of draw tags and bid tags. What bid tags are is they might say, all right, we got 400 tags that we're going to divide between five hunters. So that's 75 tags if I did the math right. Or four, 400 tags divided by four. That way we can say 100 tags a hunter. Y'all bid per tag. So they'll bid and they'll go out to contract and let them hunt. Well, one of the big things that was touched on with the alligator program was your contract hunters are pretty much 100% bill rate. There are some instances where they're not, but there's 50% of tags from last season that are unaccounted for. So they don't know if an alligator was harvested. They don't know if the tags were lost. They don't know if the hunter even attempted to harvest them for the draw side of them. So if you draw these lottery tags, make sure you either turn them in at the end of the season or do or um, get it to where you can or, or harvest your tags, you know. The season's 60 days long. And I know you can't do like a commercial hunter and go out every single day, but do your best to fill these tags. Uh, so, and a little bit about alligators for y'all that don't know. I know we've touched on them before. They are the CITES tags. So, with this, which is the, Tony talked about it in the podcast with the alligators. That is another phenomenal podcast if you ever do draw tags. Go listen to that. Um, I believe it's Tony Howard Talks with me about alligator hunting or something like that as the title. Um, but yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's the thing. Fill your tags. Do what you have to do. Um, the next big thing that happened at that meeting. And I'm going to cut it in this order. So the Redfish Notice of Intent back in July that went from 18 to 24, three fish, none over 24. Uh, public commented ended the day before the commissioner's meeting at noon, I believe. Or it might have been noon on the day of the commissioner's meeting. And now it's before the House Legislation Committee of Natural Resources, if they want to call it in. Um, but so there was people there that were, which they didn't even have to speak out of, but they presented what it was. Um, they had decent amount of people in favor. The Saltwater Guides Association turned in a petition with over 2,000 signatures on it um, in favor of the regulation. They had some people that were against it. They had, um, it was about 50-50, about four or against. And then some people didn't even have, like, they didn't even mention redfish in it or whatever. They showed the public comments. Um, and then they showed that the amount of people that were for it had a higher percentage of unique um, letters. So they sat down, had the time to write their letters, do what they had to do. Um, but as opposed to the ones that were against it, a bunch of it was a form letter. 
I mean, like, something like, I, I think it was all but, like, five was a form letter. Where somebody was like, oh, let's copy and paste this to them. So, well, it actually went through, finished up. Um, I think they only have a few more. They have a 30 days for the House legislation to look over it. And it will become a law. Um, hopefully, it will become a law in the next month, a couple months. Um, so yeah, that went through. Now, the biggest discussion was there, but I'm not, the reason I'm doing this one first is because the last discussion, I really want to talk for a little bit and why it's important. So the next, the biggest discussion there was on the one mile buffer or the buffer for the Menhaden fisheries in Louisiana. So, I don't have the actual dates, but about a week before the commissioner's meeting, they had three major fish fish bills and we had to ask what fish bills were because they were we kind of like y'all. I don't know what a fish bill is, they asked. Um, basically, it's when the net rips or they just open the net. Um, these fish die for some reason in it. I don't know why. I'm assuming lack of oxygen when all these fish group together. But so they had this fish kill, which on Holly Beach and I can't think of the other beach. I'm sorry, guys from Southwest Louisiana. I'm not from there, but they had a fish kill. These rafts of rotting fish floated up on the Holly Beach. And some of them went out to sea and sank. Some of them, well, the companies involved didn't report them in the appropriate time. They didn't, um, they had some issues with it. And I'm not going to fault the companies or the captains there. I'm going to fault the companies, not the captains, for the reporting. Because they did what they were supposed to, maybe. Um, but I don't know the internal workings or how it was. But it was two separate companies that do it. And I think where people are really aggravated with, with the whole Manhattan industry is that, yes, it's Americans working on these boats, but it's not American companies. It's foreign interests that are going for this. Um, and I think that's that's what the big issue is. And also, the recreational fishermen um, have been pushed off of where they've been fishing from them and stuff like that. Uh, these boats sometimes, they, they... And things that were said in the commissioner's meeting, let me put it this way. I don't know how much of it was tr like true or whatever, but people had pictures of... The, the, these boats in some water, they had different stuff, but um, then they had testimony from both sides. Actually, believe it or not, um, when we were taught, when the, the captains got up there and explained it for how they do it, 
it opened my eyes on how these guys actually fished these Manhattan or Pogies, as we call them in Louisiana. So, I had no idea how this industry worked. I'll admit that. Um, what I can tell you about Pogie is they make great snapper bait. Sharks love them. And there's a plant in Abbeville that when I worked on the river, on the tugboats, refueled them, we would go there to offload fuel to them. And you would shut every single door on the boat, all watertight hatches, and wash the boat when we left because it would stink like dead fish. That's all I know about pokey. So, um, but while the captains were there, they talked about how these pogies feed in and out. Um, they move inward during the day to feed in the mud and the muck on crustaceans and all, and they're filter feeders. And then they move back out at night to clean their gills off. And these pogey boats basically move in and out of the uh, the offshore realm three, from a quarter of a mile now to, you know, four, as up until the deepest water they can fish, which I don't know the water, but... Well, what happened here was that they had these fish spills that, you know, nobody wants to see a rotten redfish or a rotten pogey on these beaches. They did clean them up, but they put together this notice of intent, which is a three-mile um, buffer off of Holly Beach and Rutherford Beach and a mile buffer off the rest of the coast. So, and I believe it's Rutherford Beach. Sounds right. So, um, but yeah, they put this, this notice of intent says a mile. I'm sure there'll be some fighting and stuff like that amongst it still. Um, now, what oh, the biggest debate I seen was for the longest, there, there's no regulations on these boats, um, which they have a draft of eight to thirteen feet. So they're going, they're trying to stay, you know, and that amount of water or further out than that. But um, so wildlife and fisheries had put out saying that according to their catch data that they report to them in coordinates, 20% of their catch was in, or was in a, within a mile of the coast. The rest of it was further off. Um, the, the boats were saying, or one of the captains said 50% of his catch was within a mile. So that's one of them things there that who's right, who's wrong. You know, maybe there's not enough data. I don't know. Um, We'll see, though. I mean, there's still some stuff that they want to see on it, uh, like environmental impact statements and all. But 
or not environmental, financial impact statements and stuff like that. So I'm sure we'll be hearing that in the future ones. Now, let's take our little trip to Idaho or Montana and delisting of wolves. So the wolves became delisted. There's lawsuits about um, the state managing these wolves. Why is that important to Louisiana? Well, Louisiana had a bear report. And a little bit of history about what's going on. They had the legislation last year was going to enact a bear season into law. Because the Louisiana black bear is past the point of recovery. And with it being past the point of recovery, the state can still manage it. Um. And the Louisiana legislation knew it was past the point of recovery. They got sued, I believe, by somebody. Not 100% sure who. But the reason I'm talking about, I started with the wolves in Idaho or Montana, wherever it is, is this. Whenever you take a delisted animal from the ESA, which is the Endangered Species Act, it takes into this realm of state management at that point. Well, when these environmental groups, let's say, they're not conservation groups, they're environmental groups that don't follow the science, don't understand that the North American model of conservation needs, that hunters play a part in the North American model of conservation. Uh, but these set precedents, these lawsuits for other areas and other judges to look at to make decisions. So, with the bear being delisted, there is a lawsuit about it. Um, the, well, there'll probably be another lawsuit come out because of it. Um, but the Louisiana black bear. Back in 92, they had, I think he said under 400 black bears in the wild in Louisiana. They had very distinct population groups. Um, I know there was the Lower Basin and the Tensaw population, and I think they had three more, or two more, I'm sorry. I can't remember them. That's the two I remember. They talked a lot about them, two population groups. Well, they introduced some bears so from Minnesota into the Tensaw area and to the upper basin. The Chafalaya Basin is what I'm talking about. Um, and the coolest graphic they had, I think, was, I believe it was agent or bear, like basically nuisance bears to where it was confirmed. So, like, if you called and said, hey, I got to add a bear that got in my chicken coop last night, that wouldn't be an incident on there. But when you watch this just huge explosion of 
So they put a dot for these interactions of confirmed bear nuisance calls, I believe. And they had a few in like the Tensaw area, lower basin, and and that was in '92. And as the years went on, that whole corridor, basically from you know the Mississippi Delta in Louisiana, Upper Delta, I should say, down through the basin, just black bear population just started, and it was growing out. And they had stuff in West Louisiana pop up and stuff in the east side of the state. So there's there's these interactions all over the state. Well, with that being said, that the bear population is to the point that wildlife and fisheries need or can manage the bears. And this is my opinion. Um, If you're a hunter, an angler, you should support this. And the reasoning is, is because this is how the ESA was designed for. Is you take an endangered species, recover it to a point and then start managing it again. And there's recovery goals and things like that whenever it's on it. Not 100% with the ESA. I'm learning it. But this is what I understand. Um, Louisiana black bear is a huge success story. And Louisiana's had actually a couple huge success stories with conservation. The American alligator is one of them. And now Louisiana black bear... I mean, that's that's how you recover a population. Um, so, if you can, November 2nd, they have a commissioner's meeting where this notice of intent will be presented before the commission. Get out there, support it. Um, you can go to the meeting... You don't have to talk. There's these. Com- you can write on a comment card that you support the notice of intent. Um, you could, if you want to, you can get up and talk. Um, and like I said, why I support it is yes. Do I want to kill a bear? One hundred percent. Would I love to kill one in Louisiana? One thousand percent. I mean, I think that would be a cool. Like, hey, I got. I drew a tag on public land for a Louisiana black bear, and I was able to harvest one. You know, because guess what? That bear is going to the house. It's getting gutted. I'm keeping the hide. I'm keeping the skull. I'm keeping the claws. I'm getting it made into a bear rug. Yeah, it's going. Like It's going to be something that, I can say I have and did. And look, they're not going to hunt these bears. or They're not going to allow these bears to get hunt to a point of crisis again. Because they don't want that to be seen as a failure. And one thing they said 
is that there was 1,212 known bears in Louisiana from a study they did. So what, what they would do is they would put some type of, um, like, donut or something hanging, put some barbed wire in a square, and have three strands or two strands, and they would go and they'd say, oh, well, look, we got... This, this this hair here this week, let's pull it. And then they would they would go around, collect all the hair, send it off for genealogical genealogy testing. And you know, English is hard sometimes, as Vinny says. Genealogy testing. <laughs> and they would say, Okay, that's this bear, that's that bear. So they, they that's twelve hundred and twelve known bears. Um so, but that's only in three populations or four populations. That's not in all of your populations, um, which they're doing a study on the, I think it's the Union Parish population. It's supposed to be starting next year. So, I mean, these bears are here. Um, I'm on... There's a Facebook group, Louisiana Black Bear Sighting or something like that page. And there's always, I mean, every day people are putting, um, uh, posting pictures of these bears. Um, so they're everywhere. So, and look, if you can't make it to commissioner meeting when the notice of intent comes out for it. I'm going to post it on Facebook. I'm sure I'll post, I'll probably try to post a link of it on Instagram. Um, in right to the bear biologist that you're in support of it. Um, and like I said, so if, if you're not a hunter, the reason to support it is because they're using the ESA in the manner that it was meant to be used in. Um, so, I want to hear y'all thoughts. I have a poll on Facebook. You might have to go back a little bit, because when this came out, I kind of jumped on it and put it out there before I talked about it in a, in a meeting. Um, but, I want... I want to hear y'all feedback. I want to know what y'all think. Um, reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, TikTok's a little bit harder, but if you're a friend on TikTok, feel free to, in, to shoot me a message on there. Um, you can email us at thebesideoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, and let us know. We want to know what you think of a bear season in Louisiana. I mean, I, I think it'll be a great big game addition here. It'll bring, I think it should be only for Louisiana residents. I mean, that's just my opinion. Um, 
to be able to eligible for the draw. I don't know if they're going to do a private land or lottery draws on WMAs or how any of it's going to work. But the first step is to get a bear season. Before we before they can hash out anything else, we need to get this bear season. Um, so, like I said, we want to hear from you. We're excited about this. Uh, if you have comments on any of actually any of our uh, anything we talked about today, whether it be the redfish notice of intent, which is no longer in the commission's hands. Um, it's been passed on to legislation oversight. Uh, but the Manhattan fishery, see what y'all think about that. We want some listener feedback so that we can start interacting with y'all and talking about how y'all feel. Um, when I get feedback, I'm going to do it at the beginning of the episode and say, hey, look, this is what our listeners think. If I, if I know who it is, I'll put it out there. If I don't, I'll just say, hey, look, you know, um, listener said X, Y, Z. So, well, that's going to about wrap it up for this one. I know it's short, and this is a Friday episode. So, let me, let me know. Oh, English is hard. Uh, but let me know what y'all think about these Friday releases. I didn't get any feedback. Uh, the last episode didn't do as great as I thought. Uh, but maybe it was just what it was on over and under. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it. You will hear some career suicide statements, possibly, by me and Vinny from Pelican Bone Outdoors. Um, things that we think are overrated or underrated. Uh, and we discuss some of the topics on why and things like that. So We're sitting at about 30 minutes. You know I like to keep these about 30 minutes when I don't have a guest. 45 minutes to an hour when I have a guest. But... Make sure you thank your veterans. Thank your first responders. And I hope to catch you on the B-side of the outdoors.